0: Mark, we are in the middle of the series called How He Built This, and it has been amazing for us to look back as we enter into our 20th year at the foundational ideas and principles that have made this a place that are a tremendous blessing to us. I was with my daughter last night as we were just talking to some different people, and she dropped Psalm 16:6 6 on them as she was just giving testimony with what has happened in her young life. Because of the almost 20 years Watermark has existed, it captures about 90% of her life. She quoted Psalm 16, 6 in telling people about what has happened to her because she has lived in the midst of this community of grace and um, walked in the ancient paths where the good ways is, as it says in Jeremiah. She quotes Psalm 16, it says this, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. If you want your heritage to be beautiful, then you want to be a part of God's plan for your life. It says in the scripture, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And that prosperity, as we say here all the time, isn't tied directly to your finances. It is directly applied to what my daughter Kirby said, who believe me. As a young woman married and uh, now pregnant with her first child is not prospering uh, with all kinds of silver and gold, but man, she's prospering in so many other ways. Her heritage is beautiful to her and the lines have fallen to her in pleasant places. We have an amazing privilege to be people who get to declare the the way of life to other folks. Now look, the very first week of this series, we started and we um, simply began by saying we're not going to teach on prayer we talked about how everything we do here that's meaningful and frankly anything that we do here that is any kind of significant of involvement or involvement from God at all is going to be done prayerfully not just with the activity of prayer but the attitude of prayer and we did something really unique that particular week and we're going to do something really unique again today so hang in there with me you got to listen but that very first week I said listen I don't want to just tack on prayer at the end, like, "Oh yeah, how he built this is prayer." That sounds like we're just trying to be spiritual when um, you know we we um, make it one of our messages. And you know, how can you talk about building a church without having some reference to prayer? Well, I want to tell you, everything we do is by prayer. Apart from Him, we believe we can do nothing. And so, that very first week, what we did, y'all remember that? Is um, I, I had all our members to pour out of this room and to be spread out all over our campuses and just hit their knees praying the very same prayers we prayed the very first time we ever gathered uh, or began gathering together almost 20 years ago. And we just got the rest of you guys to move in, and we just spent some time with you in this room, and we talked about um, anything you wanted to talk about, answered any question you had about the faith or about um, what motivates us or what drives us. And listen, we're going to do something amazing again today. What was so funny about uh, that situation is, I could almost feel in the room when I said, hey, if you're here today and you know Christ, you're a member of this church, I'm going to ask you to go pray. And people went, man, really? I got up, I, I took a shower, I combed my hair, dropped my kids off, and that guy's going to now make me go pray. And we thought, man, how crazy, how crazy is that, that you would think it's crazy that you gather with God's people and we're imposing on you when we ask you to pray. Well, I'm not going to ask you to to go to pray today, but I'll tell you what I am gonna do, and just hang tight until I'm all the way done with this. I'm gonna ask you to go in just a moment, and we're gonna have folks who don't understand this truth move in, folks who aren't members move in, and people who are members, we're gonna send you out, because I'm not gonna talk about evangelism. We're gonna go out, and we're going to evangelize. And I know what you're thinking, is like, who, who's gonna go evangelize, me, right? I mean, I came here to listen. And I want you to think about how crazy it is that in a minute, when I ask you to go out there and share your faith, you're like, I'm not going anywhere to share my faith. That's nuts. And I want you to think about how nuts it is that the church of Jesus Christ thinks it's an unusual or unreasonable ask that we would send you out to share your faith while those who don't know our faith gather in with me and ask me any question they want about it. So before you leave right now, I'm gonna tell you that I'm not gonna send you out right now. We're gonna let you stay, all right, for just a little bit. And we're gonna ask you to stay and we're gonna remind you why in 40 minutes I am gonna send you out. And if you know this gospel, I'm gonna ask you to go share it and go tell it on the mountain. So here we go. God built this church Because from the very beginning, we believe that our Jesus, as it says in the scripture, came to seek and save the lost. And so we ought to be about seeking and saving the lost our own selves as well. We've said, and God built this with a philosophy and a mindset that simply said this, that the most important people at Watermark are the next hundred people that come. And I never said that, listen to me, I never said that without following it up with this. Which is, it's because those next 100 people are so important that we invest so deeply in you. It's why we proclaim Christ and we admonish Christians and we teach every Christian with all wisdom so that we could have every Christian, every follower of Jesus be complete and lacking in nothing. And for this purpose, we labor according to his power which mightily works within us to equip the saints for the work of service so that you can have the privilege of participating with the Holy Spirit in bringing people to a place of conversion, a place of understanding where they're convicted of sin in their own life and the righteousness of God and and the gap between us and the judgment that's there as a result and the incredible good news that God has done something to bridge that gap. The Lord wants you to stop paying other people for having the privilege of ripping you off of doing ministry. I'm gonna tell you an amazing stat. Pollsters, people that um, go around and ask questions of others about what they think about certain things or uh, what kind of activities they're involved in, um, have for decades been asking people who identify as Christians, people who identify as Um, people who understand that apart from a work of God, there's no way for man to be reunited to God, they they ask them, how many of them have been used of God to bring another person to a place where they have a faith with Christ? And the number is just so shockingly low, we just can't even believe it. It's like 2% of all professing believers have ever had the privilege of being the individual that brought somebody to a point of faith. I read a study one time that just basically said this, that if we define a healthy church, a healthy church as a church where one out of 20, okay, or five out of 100, or, uh, you know, 5%, if 5% of its members regularly share their faith with others, then it's considered a healthy church. Now, this was the standard that is not set by Jesus in the scripture. But this is the standard by which these particular Uh, sociologists were going to label churches as healthy. And it said, if we can just get 5% of the members of a church to be individuals that are actively sharing their faith and participating with others and bringing them along on a spiritual journey to the point of um, of transformation, then we're gonna call that a healthy church. And by their own studies and their own numbers, they found that only 3% of the churches in America would be called healthy churches by that standard. I say it here all the time. Is it any wonder then why we find ourselves in the situation that we're in? Because Jesus says, you, you are uh, the the hope of the world, church. You, You are salt and light. You're God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The Spirit of God is going to go to work to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but God's decree and plan is that he would do it through us. He would use us to be the means through which other people would come to know him. It is how God built this. This has never been a place where we can do a little holy little huddle and grab people together who already agree with us. This has been a, a mission and we're training missionaries and we're equipping the saints and we've said that there are people that are far from God out there that God wants to use us to bring them to a place where their lines will fall in pleasant places where they'll take this book of the law and commit their heart to it so they can experience the the prosperity and success of living where there is life that God intended. If this church, which is to be salt, which means to preserve decay, and to be light, which means to dispel darkness, is not doing its job, it is no wonder that we have a society that is increasingly decaying and dark. There was a study that came out this week uh, that just talked specifically about the millennial generation that's out there. And and this is, again, practicing Christian millennials by their own definition. And it went and it studied, frankly, all age groups. And it said basically that every single age group of of effective Christians believes that part of being a Christian, up with 95, 96, or 97 percent whatever their generational um, label was, whether they're they're Gen Xers or Millennials or Boomers or Elders is what they would call um, certain generations, they all believed to the tune of 95 to 96, 97% that a central part of being a Christian was that you would be a witness and share your faith. They also believed every single generation of Christians that are alive today believed up to the tune of 95 to 97% that the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is that they would come into a relationship with Jesus. So there's like 97% agreement that our job as believers is to share our faith. There is 97% agreement that the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is that they would come into a relationship with Christ. Now, millennials specifically said 75% of them feel equipped to do that. But here's what's really interesting only 40% of them agree it's something that they should do. Less less than, let me say it this way, less than um, 50% of them believe that it's appropriate to share their faith with somebody in a way that might have them potentially agreeing with them, and that they would be used to bring them over to what they believe. Now, there is just a major disconnect right there. And it has a lot to do with what they have been told again and again, which is, hey, what's true for you may not be true for somebody else. Don't you go imposing your beliefs on other people. So these people that believe that it's their job to witness and who believe that the best thing could ever happen to somebody is they would embrace that witness feel like It's wrong to share. It's not really just a problem with millennials, it's a problem really with um, all the generations, but millennials alone had almost 50% of them agree that it's at least somewhat wrong to share their beliefs. Amazing, amazing. What I wanted to do today, uh, in addition to freak you out, right, and, and tell you that I was going to make you go share your faith right now, and again, I want to tell you, I'm not going to make you do it right now, but I'm going to ask you to do it in 30 minutes. So just sit tight, <laughs> and I'm going to try and make a case why you should. Um, you know, I, 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 someone was asking me what I'm going to teach on this weekend, and I said, well, I'm going I'm to both freak people out and tell them I have beautiful feet, which kind of seems like a crazy message, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, so the freaking out part is done, And the beautiful feet part is coming, but I wanna tell you what else I really would've done had I um, been able to pull it off, and that is I would've had our little plastic communion cups uh, here filled with a little bit of vinegar. Now what I want you to do is just play along with me. You ready? I want you to imagine that we actually did this. I know you probably don't much like vinegar, but I want you to imagine that you've got some vinegar in that little communion cup, and I want you to just put it to your mouth, all right? And I want you to taste vinegar on your lips, and I want you to kind of make the face that you would make right now, like, if vinegar hits your teeth. And it's just kind of one of those faces, right? <laughs> right? Well, I know it was ugly. Yours wasn't exactly beautiful either. All right? But, but when you do that, okay, when you, when you put vinegar on your teeth, it makes you turn away. It makes you want to spit it out. You don't want to do it. This is what Proverbs 10, 26 says. It says, like, vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes. And when smoke comes into your eyes, you're like, get that away from me. I don't want that so is the lazy one to those who send him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be somebody that when my Lord thinks about me, that he just, based on my unwillingness to be the messenger that he wants me to be. I don't wanna see his face crumple up in bitterness. Look, this is not a message where I wanna motivate you at all by guilt, I wanna motivate you by love. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter five, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. We're compelled because of what Christ has done since one died for all, therefore all should live for him, when I see what God has done for me, all I want to do is live in a way that others can see the goodness of God, so they too can have the lines fall for them in pleasant places. There is no shortage of understanding biblically, or at least there's no shortage of um, clarity in the Scripture about what God wants from us and for us. We 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 already shared um, this text in uh, the Scripture. Uh, in, in this series when we were going through in 1 Peter chapter two. want gonna read it to you again. This is who we are. We're God's people. We're a chosen race, which means we are a part of something that God has chosen us to be a part of something that, that, is, um, that is privileged. We're a royal priesthood. That means we have a job to do. We're, we're a part of something to do something in a specific way. We're a holy nation we're to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. We're to experience um, the, the, the joy of walking in God's way and that our line falls to us in pleasant places and indeed that our heritage you know, would be a blessing to us and that others would see us and that we would, we would uh, as, as Scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15, we'd sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts and when others see our joy and, and the peace that we have even in the midst of a broken world, they would ask us to give a defense, you know, make a defense and give an account for the hope that is within us and we do it with gentleness and reverence we have to live our lives in such a way that people say you got to explain to me your relationships your marriages as we talked you know recently we're people that our sign is love we're part of something to do something in a specific way now watch this we've been left here for a specific reason we're a people for God's own possession so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who is called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God built this because we believe this about us. This was never about us. We weren't trying to build um, a larger group of folks that joined us and, and then we could um, uh, maybe put together facilities like we have at least in three of our campuses that are great to be at and to gather with one another and to celebrate our friendship and the increasing blessing in our life that was never the intention No, the intention from the beginning is that there are people that are out there in the cold and the darkness still that need to know what we have come to know by the grace of God because he chose to show it to us through other believers who believed it was their job and the best thing that could happen to us is for us to hear it and they loved us enough to share with us what had radically changed their life and it radically changed us. They proclaimed his excellencies to us And they called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those of us who used to not be a people, it says in verse 10, have become the people of God. Those of us who used to be outside of the mercy of God have now received mercy. And so now all of a sudden, being brought into a relationship with God, we, as aliens and strangers, we're living differently than the rest of the world. We're not trying to have pleasant things happen by doing what the world does, but we're following the word of God. We're returning, as it says in Jeremiah, to the ancient past where the good way is. And we're, by the grace of God, not so he will love us, but because he loves us, we're abstaining from what our flesh is longing for, which wages war against us. And we are to live our lives in a way that is excellent, the scripture says, among those that are far from God still. So while they slander us about our confidence in the love of God and his redemptive power, and maybe even some of our convictions about what is righteous and unrighteous and what is, what is true and what is not true, they may because of our good deeds and the way that we live as a sanctified holy people, not pulling away from them, but living in their midst, in a way that is not natural, in the way that we love and reconcile and serve and, 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 and generously share what God's given us for the advancement of, of his name and the good of other people, that when God finally shows up in the day of visitation, when the God that we say we know finally shows up, they would say, you know what? God, thank you that you put in my way a Christian. Because I saw the good way. I saw the heritage of the saints. I saw the holy nation, I saw your royal priesthood and they loved me and they did what you asked them to do. You left them here for a specific reason and they told me this day was coming. That you would return and there would be a consequence to rejecting you and they will thank God that the church of Jesus Christ was here. Look, there's no confusion about what God wants his church to do. We are not, as I said, supposed to make ourselves comfortable by building us another place. God built this because I would read parables like this. This is a parable from an old um, saint. I actually included this in my book, Come and See, and I want to read it to you now because it's how God built us. We had this conviction at the very beginning. We said the most important people at Watermark are the next hundred people that are going to come, but it's because those people are so important that we're going to disciple you and build you and, you and equip you and remind you that you don't want to be vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. You don't want to be lazy to the one that has sent you and left you here to be salt and light. Here's the parable. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there once was a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but with the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. That's what life-saving stations do. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with that station and give it their time and money and effort in support of its work. And so new boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Man, we saw it happen. Some of the members of the life-saving station, though, weren't happy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first ref- refuse um, of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. May it never be. I've said before, I'm just gonna insert this right here, that the facilities that we've built are either the biggest mistake, a $100 million mistake, or it's the best investment we've ever made. And if this becomes just a little yacht club for us, to gather with our friends and sing songs about our God while people still drown in the seas that he wants us to go out to. And with the gospel, declare to others the hope that we have received and live in such a way that we don't sink in the world that's causing them to drown and shame on us. This is then the, the biggest mistake we've ever made. But in the parable, that's exactly what's about to happen. Fewer and fewer of the members were now interested in going to sea on the life-saving mission, so they hired a lifeboat crews to do his work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations. And there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About that time, a large ship, though, was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin and some had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up, in their opinion. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleansed up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all those various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own little life-saving station down the coast, and so they did. But as the years went by, prayerfully not 19, As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. God built this place because we had a zeal for our friends that the line had not fallen in pleasant places. God built this place because we cared about one another. In the early days of Watermark, we um, would meet in high schools and office buildings and hotels and universities I mean, we met all over. This is even before the days where the internet was really a thing. It was kind of like if you could find us, you know, you could hang out with us and be equipped and be encouraged. And one of the things we used to have to do is is, is we'd have to walk, um, you know, our kids almost a 10-minute walk away and come back. And so our meet and greet originally started because we would have um, kids that were five years old uh, and over actually in our time of corporate celebration. Zero to five we'd care for, but the five to really, um, through the junior high years, we would have in the room with us before we sent them away just for a short period of time. And so we had about 10 minutes of meet and greet. And one of the things that we were committed to do from the very beginning in that meet and greet time is to make sure that we didn't run to our friends that were starting this thing with us, but we were just passionate to have our eyes just go to and fro throughout the room looking for somebody who maybe looked like they were here for the first time or just somebody's name we didn't know. And we would go and we would be committed to spending the first five minutes, at least of that 10 minutes, of welcoming others and not just saying, hello, how you doing, have you been here before, but building a relationship with them and being committed then to people that had actually come here, to grabbing lunch with them afterwards. We were the follow-up ministry. Everybody that was here was a part of the group that sought people and dealt with their first impressions and did the follow-up. Story after story of life change happened because people came inside this room and people loved them and committed to sharing their life with them and not just impart the gospel, but as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, their very lives as well. And we did ministry to one another. We believed that they were the most important people that were here, especially when we found out that they weren't just maybe checking us out from some other church, which if it was a life saving station church that had lost its purpose, we were glad they were coming to be reminded of what God wanted them to do. But when they had just heard that maybe this was a place that you could come and ask questions and they weren't gonna love you more if you agreed with them. But our great questions ministry was the people that were here that were greatly devoted to Jesus. That's how we built this. Can I just remind you of this? Even during our short little meets and greets right now on our campus, one of the things we're encouraged you to do during that three to four or five minutes now is, is to really just introduce yourself, get to know them, say, man, are you here? Do you know people? Let me help you make this very big place small, Don't just fill out the perforated section. Let me be your perforated friend and rip me out from um, the rest of what I was gonna do today. Let me walk you, okay, over there to the welcome center. Let me answer any question you have. Do you have somebody to go to lunch with? Come with us. Start to love the people that are already here and coming. Take personal responsibility. See how God built this when individual members got serious about caring for other people. I, I was um, actually uh, one time visiting um, a friend, and I went to the life saving station that he was at, and I, I, I grabbed their little watermark news, their bulletin, and I could not believe what I read in their bulletin. It was this It said, It is with deep regret that we inform the church that we are canceling the plan of evangelistic outreach because after over a year of work and planning, we're forced to call the outreach off due to a lack of participation. We have only a small handful who responded to our numerous calls from help out of the 1,200 people who are members here. And so the leadership just called it off and said, we're not gonna do it, whatever it was. Can I just tell you, we don't have evangelistic um, programs or outreach programs it is the program. And what they shouldn't do is cancel their evangelistic outreach. What they should do is acknowledge that they have canceled out God's will for their church. You don't just surrender this thing. This is why we're here, chosen race. This is why we're here, royal priesthood. I, I, I challenged my staff this week. I just said, guys, I... I well, first of all, one of the things we want every community group to do all the time, this is, this is built in the DNA, it's how he built this, to just start our community group times, um, start our team leadership meetings, not, not our staff, but every one of us in our ministry by just saying, hey, when's the last time you had a meaningful relationship with somebody who's fallen from God? For me, that was hardly 12 hours ago. And I'm not talking about because I was a pastor. I don't want people to know I'm a pastor when I'm out there because when you tell somebody you're a pastor, it's like, Vinegar to their teeth or smoke to their eyes. They're like, come on, man. So I don't even tell them. I just love them. And I got to tell you, just last night, just engaging with somebody out there, I think somebody made a decision to genuinely engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could see it in their eyes. Sometimes I share the story of God's grace and love, and, you know, they're like, well, thank you. I'll, I'll think about that. And sometimes it's like, I've never heard that. I asked them why they think they have a relationship with God. It drifts back to works, and I hope so. And I just, I just let them read. I literally let them read the Scripture. You don't have to hope so. You can know. Really, I'm not sure you can know. Well, hey, let me just show you what God's Word says. I literally took my phone out. I turned to 1 John chapter 5. I had them read 11 through 13. I'll jump to verse 13 in John chapter five. 1 John chapter 5. It says, these things I've written to you in order that you might know that you have eternal life. Before that, it says, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. This is what it means to have the Son, I told them. And I explained to them about God's love and rest and peace. And I'm telling you, I could just see their heart melt. What a privilege. What a privilege. I didn't just leave them. We're going to engage with them. We want that to go somewhere. Here's what's amazing. I mean, Jesus when he grabbed his disciples, the first thing he said to them is I'm gonna make you fishers of men. That's, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna be fishers of men. That's what, that's, what, that's what I'm here to do is to help you participate with my spirit to do the only thing that matters on earth. I've told you again and again that I know that I'm living right now in the day that is an answer to the very first plea I will have of God when I'm in heaven because there are people that I know and I say I love and I'm friends with that, that, um, that if I'm indifferent to them and their spiritual state, when I get to heaven and I see fully and know God fully, as I'm fully known right now, I'm gonna go, oh Lord, I mean, I, I, I believe, but man, I, now I know. Please, please just resuscitate me. Send me back. Give me 24 more hours. Let me go tell people the truth that those who believe in you should not perish but have eternal life, that they'll pass out of judgment and into life. Let me go tell them that, please. I am living right now in the privilege of the answered prayer that I'm gonna beg God to allow me to do when I see him. And I think he's gonna say, hey man, just your time's done, man. That vapor of opportunity to be a faithful servant, not smoke to my eyes or vinegar to my teeth. I died for all your laziness and disobedience. Man, it's, I got that, but I gotta tell you, Man, am I ever going to want to go? I, I, I read a poem. How he built this is I read this poem before. I read it probably, I don't know how many times, eight, nine times over the 19 years we've been together. It's a good one. It's called My Friend. It's one I just am reminded by all the time. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You, you knew the, the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell me the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me straight to him. Though we lived together on the earth, you never told me of the second birth, and now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you, but I learned now that it's too late. You could have saved me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and laughed with you through joy and strife, and yet on coming to the end, I cannot call you now my friend. I don't ever. I don't ever want somebody to think those words of me. Listen, God's sovereign. He'll make up for all my ineptness. But I don't want to be inept. We've never wanted to be a yacht club. I won't be a part of a yacht club. And it's why I'm so zealous to constantly remind you what I know is true, and that is that we're not gonna cancel the evangelistic program because the church is the evangelistic program. And you and I, chosen race, royal priesthood, people for God's own possession—we're God's plan A, and there is no plan B. And when we stop caring for people that are far from God, then what we're really saying is, God, we don't care about you. I talked about all the things that love does: right? love shares, love, love serves, love seeks. I said, love speaks. Do you love people? Are you speaking? When's the last time you had a meaningful relationship with somebody who's far from God? I challenge my staff to just do it two times a week. Do you know this? There's about 20,000 of us hanging around Watermark. If we just shared the story of grace with two people a week, each one of us, that's, that's you know, um, you guys got the math, right? That's close to, you know, 40,000 times a week. Turns out to a million times a year, more than that. If we just up it to just doing it multiple days, every single person in the Metroplex from Allen to Frisco, over there sweeping the north of Fort Worth, back down through Irving and Arlington, sweeping through South Dallas and up this way, just watermark alone, every single person in the Metroplex would have heard the story of God's love. It's not our job to convert people, it is our job to compel them to come in, that's what the scripture says. How are you doing, church? When's the last time you had a meaningful relationship, a meaningful conversation with somebody who's far from God? You know, when I I read verses like Jesus, as I said, he starts in Matthew 4, 19, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He ends the book of Matthew in Matthew 28, 19, 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded them. I'm gonna be with them as they abide with me to the end of the age. What he's commanded us to do is to go and seek and save the lost as he did. He ends the book of Matthew like that. Mark is ended that way. Mark 16, 15 says, go into the world and preach the gospel. He ends the book of Luke like that. Go and tell them that, That there's repentance necessary for the forgiveness of sins. (coughs) And that it's to be proclaimed to all the nations, starting from the very first church. John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you, he says. As the Father sent me, (coughs) I'm sending you. (coughs) He's got to send you because I apparently can't speak. Excuse me a second. (coughs) It's what God wants. He ends the Gospels that way when the church is started in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I'm just going to tell you, he starts this way. You're going to receive power. You don't have to do this on your own. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which we know is at the moment of belief, you will be my witnesses. The first church did that. Now listen. Guys, we we know these verses and we nod our heads and we believe these things are true. We know that we've never locked eyes with another human being who doesn't matter to God. We know that. Those of us who have been to church, we know that, but we get really adept at affirming statements like this and then we completely ignore them in our daily lives. We we agree they're true, but we don't own it. We just kind of file it into the Bible you know, story category and, and, and the Bible truth category, kind of like Moses led the exodus, Noah built the ark, Isaiah was a prophet. We just intellectually go, yeah, that's what the Bible says we should do, but it just doesn't change us. We move on to other topics. And when we do that, we're not as church. God built this. He built this place because people in this place, you guys, so many of you have been doing the work of an evangelist. Now look, I, I know it's not always easy. My, my, you know, I, I can think of um, times that I've tried to share my faith and it just hasn't always worked out well. We, my kids were laughing at me the other day because um, they were reminding me of a time that we were getting ready to go uh, whitewater rafting as a family. And so um, we got in a bus with all the other folks that were going to go to the mouth of the river and get on the river. And there was probably about six different uh, groups of people that were going. And so the guy that got up there was, you know, the typical river guide. And uh, he wasn't apparently very creative because he said, hey, what we're going to do, you know, we're going to get to know each other. And so uh, my name is Jeff. What I want you to do is go around and say your name in your favorite color. Brilliant. So I kind of went around, people were saying their name and favorite color, and you know, my son's next to me, he goes, Cade, black, I'm like, black. And so I I was gonna be bold for my kids and kind of show them how to share their faith and how to do what God wants us to do as his people, and I go, my name's Todd, red's my favorite color, it's the same blood, and I I, I just messed it up here, but what I said is, red's my favorite color because that's the color of the blood my savior shed. (laughs) It was awkward to begin with, right? But, uh, you know, I said, shave your shed, and everybody kind of looked at me, and I kind of looked at them, and I kind of went like, you know, I kind of shrugged my shoulders, and, um, you know, I I wanted to go, this is my wife, Alex, you know, (laughs) and down from there, it was awkward, my kids loved to just mess with me on that, you know, and just tear me up, and uh, go, Dad, how many, you know, seashells does Susie sell by the seashore, you know, all the time, your shave your shed is blood, and I know it's so funny because they made fun of me and it, was, uh, it did turn into some conversations. I wish I could tell you the entire bus got saved, but I think what happened is the entire bus got a chuckle. We did have some conversations. But I, I said to my kids a little bit later, like, hey, let me just ask you this. You know, I said, you know, I don't much like the way I did that there either. How did you share your faith with those people? And I just said to him, I go, well, look, you know, here's the deal. Like, I, I, I didn't like the way I did it either, but I like my way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. Because I wasn't rude. I wasn't um, condescending. I just couldn't speak. <laughs> so what's your way of doing it? We're his witnesses. And, and I would just tell you, the more you're involved with people that you're close to, your walk really matters, right? When you're just meeting people for a short little instances, and all you have time is to say your name and your color, your words are going to matter a lot. But what you don't want to do is be around people for a long time and never share with them why you live your life holy and blameless. You want to let them know. I mean, I, I, I had this conversation almost immediately with every person that I know. At some point, we just start to talk a little bit, and when we, I just said, man, tell me what, tell me what interests you. Tell me what you're passionate about and um, and I'll just say, well, I'll tell you one of the things I'm passionate about. This is people I'm going to be in relationship with, not just people I'm meeting. You know, I love to ask people. We say this around here a lot. Hey, tell me, do you have a faith, or um, you know, tell me what, what's your, do you, have, you know, do you have an interest in spiritual things, or uh, you know, what what do you think of when you hear? I just have all different kinds of ways I enter into spiritual conversations with people. But when I'm with folks that I have a long relationship with, at some point early on that I know I'm going to be with for a while. Um, other friends that have, uh, uh, parents of friends of my kids and things like that, you know, I'll just say, hey, man, what, 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 tell me what, what's your interest, what's your passions? And I'll just say to them, when, when the question comes back to me, it's amazing how many times folks who are not spiritually appraised never really ask you that question, but I'll just say, hey, you know what, we're going to be friends, and, and um, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is the kindness of God, man it's changed my life. I'm not going to say it exactly that way, but I'm just passionate about helping people know the one thing that I think is the best thing that they can know. And, and so, you know, here's what you need to know about me. You don't have to worry that every conversation I have, I'm going to try and work this angle. But at some point, man, I would love to share with you how coming to understand that the Bible was not a rule book that tells me that I've got to keep some moral code. And if I don't, then I'm going to be in a bad way with God. I thought that for the longest time. And then I, for the first time, read God's word. I ran into people who knew it, and I found out it's a rescue story. It's, a, it's God's love for me expressed. It's, it's the record of God in the context of human history revealing himself, that we can know who he is. And he loves guys like me that are, frankly, just not very lovable. Has anybody ever told you? I say this to people all the time. Has anybody ever told you what the central message of the Scripture is? I've had people go, I don't believe the Bible is true. And I I go, well, wait a minute. I go, I didn't ask you if you thought the Bible was true. And I get it. You know, if the Bible is not um, what we say it is, we shouldn't believe it, but you seem like you're interested in intellectual things, so let's just agree that the Bible is, is by far the most printed, translated, propagated, quoted book in all of history. And I'm asking you if you just know the central message of the Bible. So I'm not asking if you think it's true. What do you think the central message of the Scripture is? You just said you blow it off because it's not true. Do you even know what you're blowing off? Because that would be very intellectual, would it? And typically people go, well, I guess I really don't know what it says. And then I go, well, we're going to be friends. Let me tell you, this truth changed my life. And then I tell them. In our 4B form this year, we asked you guys a lot of questions. We asked you questions about reasons that you don't share your faith, and um, it, it's not because you don't know how. Over 90% of you say you know how to share the story. There's some other reason. I'll tell you why, um, why people don't typically um, reproduce, right? And, and, and there's new converts here all the time. But you know, when when you you don't have to know a lot of doc. A doctrine to just say all I know is I was blind and now I see and that's the guy who helped me see I and mean, that's a great testimony look at John 9 that was the testimony of that guy but I want you to know that sometimes people don't reproduce just because they're immature I get it some of you guys are young in your faith we want to train you I'm about to tell you about a way you can be trained some of you might be in that 10% that says you don't know how to share not just your testimony but specifically the gospel sometimes people can't reproduce because something's broken it's not right Something's not working the way that it should. We want to help you. We want to restore you. We want to make you healthy. We live in a world that is um, affected by sin and disease. Sometimes people can't reproduce because, um, because there is corruption in the world. And if there's corruption in your life, you know, I, 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 I sometimes am convicted because I, I ask myself sometimes when I'm engaging with people, I don't find myself being loving and kind and servant hearted and other-centered. I think, Todd, if the next word's out of your mouth, We're about the love of God and the ability of God to transform a selfish person to be a person of grace. If those were the next words out of your mouth, would they be believed? And it changes the way I treat people. Some of you guys are silent because you know that your life right now is, even though you've accepted the idea that Jesus died for you, you've not been living in a way that is abstaining from worldly and fleshly lusts, and so you've just completely silenced yourself. We want to help you deal with that. Sometimes it's just because of a lack of engagement or intimacy. And, you know, one of the things that is going to be available to you when you walk out is this top 10 card that we have that helps you write down the name of 10 people that are far from God or don't know him that you're going to pray for specifically. We even walk you through things to do to help you engage with them. Initiate a friendship. Share your story of grace. Invite them to come, see, and learn, and be around your life and come and hear the truth told. A lack of engagement might be the reason. Just, or indifference to a relationship. There are people who are married who are just indifferent. Don't really care each other. They don't have physical intimacy. One of the most watched Real Truth Real Quicks last year was what to do if you find yourself in a sexless marriage. Well, let me tell you what you should do if you find yourself in a non-intimate evangelizing relationship with a non-believer. Here's some real truth real quick. You should repent. And admit you're like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes of the one who sent you into this world. That's how he built this thing. We did an amazing thing last weekend with our high school kids. We, we mentioned it to you. I want you to watch something we did as an opener on Saturday night. And what we had them do, and I'll set it up a little bit for you, is we had all the kids, you know, turn on their iPhones. It's kind of cute because in the very middle of this room where we were in Dallas, uh, there's a dark spot you'll see that was always there It's because that's where the sixth graders were seated. And we have a bunch of parents who go, hey, sixth grade too early to have an iPhone, so good for you. <laughs> Seventh grade might be. Fifty-five might be. But that's beside the point. But what we asked them to do is to turn their flashlights on and then to kind of turn them up every time we asked a question that they had the right answer. Like, you're excited to be here, and they'd all turn the light on, um, you know, and we would run through a series of questions. I want you to watch some of the questions we asked them, and I want you to see the lights go on and off. Watch this. First of all, we're all broken, aren't we? We're all hurting. We're all a little insecure. We're all afraid we're going to lose friends. But Some of us have found a friend, a friend that has given his life for us. When we say we want to help our friends that are struggling and our light isn't on, when the question is asked, have you shared the gospel with somebody recently? We must not know the friend that helps people who are struggling and broken and hurting. God built this place because so many of us are actively doing that. We want to invite you in. And if the reason that you're not actively doing that is because you need some training, I got some good news for you. We've got a thing here called Unashamed. Everybody thinks Unashamed is an evangelistic program. It's not. It is evangelism training. Let me tell you how good Unashamed is. And we're doing it almost every month on the Dallas campus. There's one coming up in uh, Fort Worth the end of March, one in Plano in April. Anybody's welcome to come to the Dallas campus, Frisco, there's not one right now in Frisco because the church is built on individuals who use their gifts and a lot of the folks that are there are already using their gifts. Frisco, is there somebody there who wants to help us start leading Unashamed Weekends there with you? That's how God built this His believers got in the game. My buddy Mike Frizzell who leads our IT and programming and um, puts together so many great resources here, he said this not long ago. He said, if I had a chance to encourage somebody and they could listen to every single mapped out message of Watermark from beginning to now, or I could send them to an unashamed weekend, I think they would have more spiritual growth by spending that Friday night in prayer and worship and training and the weeks that lead up to that. Because to go on an unashamed weekend, you got to go to the training classes. And then Saturday, where we send you out in the community to serve, and Saturday, we send you out in the community and let you engage in conversations with the, the, the millions that if we just shared the gospel a few times a week, would all know about Jesus. And then we gather down there in Clyde Warren Park for a time of worship and prayer in our city. And then we hit other churches and worship with them on Sunday morning. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16 says. It's the power of God for salvation. We wanna help you. We wanna help you. And God wants you to be a help to others. Would you not be ashamed? It's how he built this. Father, I thank you that we can be a body that can come together and be reminded that we don't ever want to build something comfortable for ourselves. We don't ever want to be a place that loses its mission. We don't want to cancel an evangelistic program because the church is the evangelistic program. So help us, Father, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Help us to, um, as imperfectly as we will, because we're learning to sometimes say our Savior saves Father, thank you that you did shed your blood for us and that the line have fallen to us in pleasant places. Those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, who were once not a people, have become a people, who once had not received mercy, have received mercy, and woe to us if we stop telling others about the hope that has come. Would you help us take advantage of the equipping opportunities? Would you help us pray for our friends? that are far from you, to initiate a relationship with them, to share our story of grace, to invite them to come and see. And may they come to you, Lord, and participate with us in being your people for the glory of your son who died for us until we see him. Let us walk with you and serve him. In Jesus' name, amen.